Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. This week on the Not A Mommy Yet podcast, I am speaking with Kiara Orbe of Kiara Marie Wellness. Kiara is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and currently receiving her certification as a root cause consultant to help her clients dig even deeper into different protocols. Kiara is not only so easy to talk to, she has been on the other side of the phone, the Zoom, whatever it might be, because she was the patient and she was the one that wasn't finding answers or the support that she needed. She used to experience a whole host of symptoms, including chronic GI pain, distress, hormone imbalances, anxiety, irritability, low energy and acne, and even infertility and a sluggish thyroid, all of which ended up being the result of a wrecked metabolism. As a gut and hormone health practitioner, Kiara teaches women how to restore their metabolisms, terminate digestive issues, and balance their hormones using real food to step into their true power. In this episode, we talk about inflammation and the different ways it can appear. Some might surprise you as well. We talk about our liver, hormone detoxification, the various labs that can help you, and your care provider see what's going on inside your body. And we also talk about fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum support using someone like Kiara. As you all know, these are some of my favorite topics to cover whenever I can. This is a great episode, and you can check out the podcast notes for all of the ways that you can connect with Kiara. It'll also include all of the books that we mentioned throughout the episode. One last thing before we get this episode going, though, I have a quick favor to ask. My 30th birthday is in two months, and the only thing I want for my birthday is to hit 5,000 subscribers on this podcast. And in order to do that, I need your help. If you like this episode and have been a listener of this podcast, if you could please head over to the Apple Podcast app and just rate and review this really quickly, it shouldn't take long, and make sure it's a nice review, please, as well. That would mean the world to me. The last thing is just to share it with a friend. It helps so much, and I really love doing this for you guys, so I want to keep doing it for a long time. Thank you so much for your support. Please enjoy this episode with Kiara. Thank you so much, Kiara, for being on the podcast today. I am so excited that I stumbled upon your Instagram account and got to start following you and getting all of the amazing information that you share with your followers. I would love to hear from you what led you into this career because functional nutrition, is that correct? Yeah, I don't even know what to call myself anymore because um, I... 
came from this like Western, you know, medicine background, like most of us. And, you know, I went to my doctor for all of my chronic health issues. I just kind of fell into this space um, because I wasn't getting answers from my doctors. And luckily I had a PCP who was so kind enough to refer me out to functional medicine. Um, So I entered that space, but it was still like someone else was responsible for my health. And um, a lot of the functional recommendations that I was given was just another band-aid approach for a lot of my symptoms. So I've kind of steered away from that too. Um, I, a lot of them, um, of my clients are familiar with functional medicine. So they refer to me as like a functional nutritionist. I just, I call myself like a health practitioner and just look at the body as a whole in a holistic way, I guess. So I, I don't even know what to call myself, but by, uh, by my credentials, I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and root cause protocol consultant. So yeah, um, it is in the name, but I just don't like to get too confused with like functional medicine, if that makes sense. Okay. So that's actually something that I'm very interested in pursuing as a career. And I'm that's why I'm also really glad to have you on is that that's a more recent actually since after I reached out to you, that I started hearing so many more functional practitioners or functional medicine practitioners um, being interviewed. And I'm just hearing so much more about it. And I love that, like you said, it's not just a band-aid approach that you're getting to like the root cause, which is the other part of your title of these problems. And I think that's especially for women, like we are given Band-Aids left and right. Like, it's like, you know, birth control being a very simple example to a lot of our symptoms that we deal with. And, you know, I ha- like how did you land on this kind of practice? Um, you know, like what after you, you know, were dealing with your own health issues, like how did you come to this realization? Like, oh, this makes sense for my next step to like pursue this career. Yeah, great question. Um, So when we talk about the root cause of all of our symptoms, um, a lot of my clients are like, I just want to know the root cause of everything. Like I want to run all these tests. I want to figure it out. And it's like, okay, we find candida, but that is still not the root cause of everything. Um, We really have to create this, this timeline for ourselves. Like when did, what, what kind of childhood did we lead? What kind of birth did we experience? Um, what did our mom's health look like? Um, and really it all boils, boils back down to stress in some way, shape or form. Um, so to answer your question, Natalie, like how did I fall into this space? It was just a lifetime worth of, um, some form of stress. I think that my mom's hormonal imprint definitely played a role in transferring that to me like via womb when I was in her womb and automatically I was born with this like anxious attachment kind of tendency so it automatically led me to feel like this anxious attachment towards like her and I was just afraid of the world and I constantly had this like my nervous system was just heightened all of the time and that led me to be like this quote-unquote perfectionist type a personality and so my nervous system was just like a it was just wrecked all the time and um that led me to experience a whole host of gut issues, which of course we know that the gut is where our microbiome resides and that plays a huge role into our mental health. 
Um, so I, I see this in a lot of women that I work with, like just perfectionist type A personalities or like go, 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 or just having to do all of the things and get them done. It's no wonder that they're experiencing gut issues. And I speak, especially as women, we hold a lot of our emotions in our guts. Um, so that's kind of what led me to fall into this space because again, I went to my GI doctor. I almost went to like this research hospital nearby. I was like, I'm just this complicated case. No one's going to figure me out. And um, then I thankfully had my PCP tell me like, why don't you check out functional medicine? Like we've done all we can here. Like here's a probiotic and that's all I can do for you right now. Um, because they don't have that kind of training to, to treat chronic health issues. They're really good at treating like trauma and, you know, things like that. But, um, as far as my issues, like a lot, a lot of it, I was told my, by my GI doctor, I was told by family members, like, it's all in your head. Like you're not really bloated and you're not really like experiencing all these issues or that it's normal. Like I get that too. And no one was like validating enough for me. And thankfully, like my functional medicine practitioner was validating for me. And like, we ran all these tests and I was, I had candida. I was quote unquote infertile. I had low progesterone. I had low testosterone. I was estrogen dominant. I had, um, toxicity and, some way, shape or form. And, oh my gosh, what else? Just dysbiosis, like so many issues. I was on a slow train of hypothyroidism, so many multiple um, nutrient deficiencies. And I was given iron supplements, like B supplements and just all these things, just to kind of, again, what I was saying earlier, like just slap a bandaid on these things, not really figuring out like why these things are, are existing in my body. Like my body didn't just overnight, you know, get these um, diagnoses. And it sounds um, like a lot so, of them could have been connected. Like it's, they're all like interconnected too. Oh yeah. They're all interconnected. And like I said, it all boils back down to some form of stress. Like it was just years and years of, of trauma. And um, like when I say trauma, everyone's like, like, what is trauma? And it's like, it doesn't have to be this big thing. Like I lived a very like happy, healthy childhood um, from an outsider's perspective. But you know, there are things like, um, with my dad and with my mom and like, um, what was made like taboo in my family to talk about. And so that made me fearful of certain things in life and, um, my relationships with men and just so many things just built up in our bodies. Like, and I never released them. I never talked about my emotions. I never knew how to, I never processed them. So I, I view trauma as any, like, any unprocessed emotion to an event. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. So that was like a long-winded answer, but I, that was um, kind of what led me into this whole space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just heard about this book yesterday, actually, called like Your Body's Taking Score. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. I love okay. it. Oh, you've read it? Oh, yeah. It's um, it's uh, your body. Oh, my God. Why am I blanking out? The body keeps score. I can't remember who it's by, but um, yeah, I have it like in my bookshelf somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm like gonna order it because I want to get into that. Especially, I I mean, there's people in my family too who have physical ailments that are absolutely caused by these traumas. Um, and so, how do you kind of help? You said you know it can go back to the birth experience and childhood traumas. How do you help your clients? kind of think through those? Are you able to, 
help them with that? Or do you kind of direct them to certain people and you work as a care team for them? Like, how does that process work? Yeah, good question. Because I'm definitely not by any means trained in trauma. I am trauma informed. Um, And I've done like my own research and my own experience that I can share with them. And then I will guide them to like a practitioner that I am familiar with or like tell them to explore different realms of therapy. Um, I personally have done EMDR therapy. Have you heard of it? Mm -mm. It's um, it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it's really cool because a lot of people can use this for like body image issues. Um, Is that like brain spotting? Yeah, it's, um, it's like one foot in the present and one foot in the past. You're holding these buzzers and you're working with a a practitioner or therapist one-on-one and you first lay out all the groundwork. Like she equips you with all the coping mechanisms that will help you if any emotions arise during the process. It's about 20 minutes long and she, she or he is essentially guiding you like through the event. Then you have your eyes closed and these tappers, I don't know how it exactly works, but like I said, it's, um, one foot in the past and one foot in the present. And by, not fully revisiting the the trauma because it is it can be really traumatic for some people like for whatever it is um but you're able to at least revisit the emotions associated with it and release them and have the coping mechanisms to work through them so i've done that i've done talk therapy i've done um one of my new favorites is the emotional freedom technique like tapping have you heard of it tapping yeah i've done it yeah, I like that. It that um you can work with a practitioner one-on-one as well. I've done that or I just do it like by myself. Um plenty of like free resources online and that just kind of removes the electrical charge that is associated with the emotion that you're experiencing. But I mean, it's a whole lifetime of working through these emotions. It's not just like, okay, I'll do therapy for 6 weeks and I'll be good. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and that's kind of why I, I hope that, you know, through the people that I talk to on this podcast, whoever's listening can try and work on these things prior to having kids. So then that way you're setting your kids up for success. I mean, we all, no matter what, like, you know, it's impossible to prevent the micro traumas or the large traumas that your child will experience. Like that's just life. Um, but I think that by working on ourselves, like, and through modeling and then just being, you know, a more aware parent, it might be helpful in the future. So when you're working with your clients, like, what's a myth that you constantly feel like you're debunking? Like, what is usually the first, the first kind of areas that you have to talk them through to kind of disassociate their preconceived notions, I guess, of what they think maybe you do or what they think is wrong with them? What do you like constantly find yourself coming back to as like a reminder or a lesson for your clients? Um, I think when I hop on discovery calls with women, they're like, one of the things that they're most fearful of is having to restrict foods. And they're like, I mean, my commitment level to getting better is a 10, but I, you know, I just want to know like, what foods do I have to eliminate? Like, am I going to have to get rid of my favorite foods? Um, and a lot of the times you know, they're just like, I love my morning bowl of oatmeal, or I love, 
um, ice cream or, you know, I've, I've worked with other practitioners and they had me restrict this, this and that. And like at the top of the list is sugar. Um, so you may have seen me talk about this a lot on my platform, but sugar is the primary source of fuel for ourselves. And of course, quantity matters, quality matters for women who have come from a restrictive diet like that and have eliminated sugar from their life and maybe have transitioned to like stevia or xylitol or those, you know, sweeteners that are zero calorie. Um, we do have to be very methodical in our process and making sure that they're receiving the fuel that they need, but not all at once, because that of course, like will make you feel worse. Like we don't want to jump from zero to a hundred. Um, it's a process. It's a slow and steady process. And um, I guide my clients through that, but I'd say that's probably like the number one thing is just letting them know that this is the, not another diet. Like I don't even view in this space that I'm in, there's this term, it's called pro-metabolic eating. And I think that alone is, is, um, it's something that we have to be careful with because when people hear that, it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, eat pro-metabolically. And all that means is just eating metabolically supportive foods. And I'm like, well, that's just nourishment. That's just food. That's just the way our bodies are designed to eat and makes biological sense. Um, it's not another diet. And so I, when we view the view our lifestyles that way and like make it sustainable, then they're like more at ease. They're more peaceful. They're not in this fight or flight state, like having to remember a whole list of foods that they're avoiding. Um, and, you know, questioning why they're not tolerating certain foods as well either. Um, there is a, like a phase where I like to work with clients. It's eliminating some foods for like a 30 day period of time so that I can create space and healing in their bodies. Because right now, like when they usually come to me, their bodies are really inflamed and diseased and um, they're not tolerating a whole lot of food. Um, so I like to just flood the body with foods that I know they'll be able to digest and absorb and assimilate um, and then slowly do the reintroduction process. Um, so yeah, it really just comes back down to diet and debunking a lot of those myths that we have unfortunately learned <laughs> over the past few years with so many uh, USDA, um, not USDA, yeah, USDA government guidelines. So yeah. yeah. And then I can also imagine too, especially with women also who come to you and you open them up to maybe new foods that they should be incorporating or also increasing their calorie intake. I'm sure that that can be pretty like resistant, like, wait a second, I'm comfortable with this 1200 calorie range. Like I don't want to, you know, which I also think is so funny. I've always, I definitely was that person. Like now I just kind of eat more intuitively. I'm getting better at it. Like, but I, it was like such a joke thinking that I was only eating 1200 calories to begin with. Like, <laughs> If I actually did the math, like, no, <laughs> it would have been way more. That's like for a kid. Um, and I mean, I was there too. I think a lot of us were, like I said, like we we're just having to unlearn a lot of these things and know that like maybe the lowest I would ever go with a client is like 1800 calories and, and then it probably increased from there too. Um, and especially like, I know this whole podcast is like not a mama yet. So I'm assuming that a lot of your listeners are like hoping to become moms one day, but something I hear so often, um, 
is like breastfeeding and like their, their hair is falling out. And I'm like, well, how many, like how much food are you eating? (laughs) Are you eating enough um, while you're breastfeeding to sustain that amount of stress? Like birth and pregnancy and breastfeeding are all beautiful things, but they are very stressful. So fuel from foods is going to help mitigate that stress. And, you know, calories are going to increase. Um, And I think a lot of us are, are feel fearful of increasing calories for sure. Yeah. I mean, especially because we have never really been taught properly how to increase calories in a way that like, I mean, yeah, I guess it would just make sense to just like add, you know, another little piece of salmon or more quinoa to your plate, like whatever it is that you're eating. That's, that's good for your body. I don't know, but yeah, like how do you kind of help with the increase of calories? Is it more meals or is it just more food on your plate? Like, or is it both? Great question. Um, So it's going to look different for everyone. I would do it over the course of a month. Okay. And um, say someone's coming from a really low carb diet. I would increase their carbohydrates by five to 10 grams per week. Um, And if they're not eating a snack right now, like a lot of the women that I see don't have an appetite from the beginning. They're like, I wake up and I'm not hungry. I could go all day until like four o'clock in the afternoon without having food. And they usually come from like an intermittent fasting background, um, which is what I experienced too. I was like, gosh, I could go all day and just eat dinner. Like I was just not hungry genuinely, Yeah, but still like performed all of my daily tasks throughout the day. And I'm like, oh my God, in retrospect, my body was so stressed out. Um, So it would be like five to 10 grams of carbohydrate increase per week over the course of a month. Um, or longer, just depending on where someone's at. And, um, and then if they're not eating snacks, I would do like, okay, let's add in a snack this week and let's do that in the afternoon at two o'clock. And then the following week, let's add in another snack and let's do that in the morning, um, at 11 AM and the next week, let's add in a bedtime snack. If they're struggling with sleep, because we know that cortisol does spike in the middle of the evening evening, well, like two o'clock in the, in the morning, I guess I should say between two and 4 a.m. If someone is waking up between those hours, you can usually assume that they have run out of glycogen stores, which is stored glucose in the liver. And what happens then your body is searching for fuel. So it'll raise stress hormones like cortisol to search for that fuel, to break the body down and manufacture its own fuel. Um, And so what I like to do with clients is incorporate a bedtime snack and it doesn't have to be big. Like it's just like a protein and a carb. And usually the proteins that I'm recommending have a little bit of fat in there too. And this is just to sustain them through the night. And I find that dairy is the best, um, sleep aid. I, I mean, I just like to refer to ourselves as big babies and, um, you know, babies are rocked to sleep. They're saying lullabies, they have sound machines, they're given a bottle or they're nursed. Um, so I, I like, doing that before bed. But it's like I said, it's a very slow and steady process to increase calories. Yeah. I I definitely want to get back to that postpartum point, um, you know, about hair loss and, and all the other things that, uh, that we can experience. But so you mentioned dairy and, um, I did also want to talk about inflammation and kind of like, we're taught these like four inflammatory food groups, right? It's like sugar, alcohol, dairy, and I think animal products, Right. right? 
or animal products. Yeah. I was going to say gluten. Um, but yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. There is this whole myth about like animal products being inflammatory. Absolutely. So for me, like I've dealt with acne since I was 17 at varying kind of, and it went from like mild, like definitely looking back, I went on birth control when I was 17 for my skin, which was ridiculous and it didn't help. And then I went on Accutane twice while I was on birth control within three years. And that definitely helped. But then it all came back. Obviously, if I went on it twice, it didn't work the first time. And I was like, let me just do it again. Um, And you know, that came from my mother who's been on it three times in her 20s. So she obviously didn't have good skin and she was obviously taught like that's the solution. And um, and then when I moved to New York in 2016, so it had been about six years since my last round of Accutane um, or maybe five, my skin just freaked out. And, and it could have been, you know, I like broke up with my boyfriend. I moved to a new city, started a new job. I did like the three things you're not supposed to do all at once. (laughs) And, um, but you know, I cut out dairy, like it was around that time or maybe like a year before that, because I was like, let me just try cutting out dairy for my skin. And clearly it didn't really make a difference because my skin was still freaking out. Like if anything, maybe I needed dairy, but I still to this day do not eat any dairy products. Um, just because I'm like, it's out now. Like, why should I start incorporating back in? Like I'll have a bite of cheese, like Swiss cheese. Like I can't resist it. I'll have like a little bite or like a little tiny bite of ice cream here and there. But I'm just wondering, like, is this just all in my head? Like, is there safe ways to work with you, for example, to bring dairy back in? Or like, if it's out, should I just keep it out? Great question. Um, so yeah, I think that there's always a question of like, is dairy good for me? Um, and how do I know that? Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to vary for everyone because, Yes. If you're reacting to dairy, eliminate it. Even if it's raw, even if it's organic, eliminate it because right now your body needs more support elsewhere. And the three things I like to think of whenever someone's not tolerating dairy well is um, low progesterone, hypothyroidism, and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is SIBO. So I usually like to keep a little dairy in someone's diet because when we stop consuming dairy, the lactase enzyme in our small intestine is no longer being produced. And so your body's like, well, I I don't need it. Why should I produce it? I'm not getting dairy. So I don't need to break down, break down any dairy. And then Mm -hmm. when we go to dairy again, it's like, whoa, like I was not ready for that. And then I have a reaction where like, oh my God, it's the dairy. (laughs) You know? So it's this whole, like, um, it's looking at our body's physiology and questioning why. Okay. Um, so with my clients, I do this in depth, like, um, audit nutrition and lifestyle audit, and we go over things. And then, you know, I get this graph back and I'm like, okay, where is dysfunction lying? And usually I'll see that small intestinal marker, like really high, you know, they're experiencing a lot of lower intestinal bloat and discomfort. It usually takes place three to four hours after a meal. Um, and that's kind of how I go about supporting digestion first, because in order to have good thyroid health, good hormone health, digestion needs to be optimal. Um, mm-hmm. that's really where like our health starts. And, um, a lot of women come to me with like hormone imbalances and they're like, I don't really have any digestive issues. Like I don't really get bloated, like maybe here and there. And, 
my bowel movements happen every day, but then we dig deeper. I'm like, okay, what kind of bowel movements are you having? Are you having them um, like, like clockwork or are you struggling still? Um, you know, there's always usually something going on with digestion, even if mm-hmm. my clients don't think so. And we see that like visually, this is why I like to do the in-depth nutrition and lifestyle audit. So it's going to take looking at digestion and then flooding the body with mineral rich foods because minerals are very going to, are going to be very supportive for our thyroid health. Potassium, for example, allows thyroid hormone to enter our cells. Um, so we need potassium, we need enough magnesium, we need enough sodium, especially for adrenal function. Um, and we hear a lot about adrenal fatigue, um, and that has a lot to do with our thyroid health. Um, and a lot of women that I see in my practice are dealing with subclinical hypothyroidism. They've seen their doctor and everything comes back within normal limits mm-hmm. of their their blood panel. And they're like, my doctor says I'm fine. And this was me too. I had, but I was, my hair was falling out. I had cold hands and feet. I was gaining weight. I was like, I'm like the picture of hypothyroidism, but it's not being caught on a blood, blood plant, blood panel. So something else I like to utilize in practice is a hair tissue mineral analysis. And this is just a sample of your hair that comes like from your scalp. So we're getting the tissue as well. And that Mm -hmm. gives a really good insight of what's going on on a cellular level. Minerally, is that even a word? Minerally, like mineral wise, um, mm-hmm. heavy metals, how your metabolism is functioning. And I'm like, okay, you were hypothyroid on a cellular level. I don't care what your blood panel says, if it's coming back within normal limits, I think that this is what's going on. Oh, wow. Uh, and then we can usually see like a female reproductive health on there as well. And I think most of us today, just with the xenoestrogens, phytoestrogens um, in our environment and stress that we experience today all allow estrogen to accumulate in our bodies and not enough progesterone to oppose it. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I saw it with myself when I was 25 years old and that was supposed to be, you know, when I'm most fertile, like, you know, my childbearing years. Um, but that was not the case. And I mean, there are so many factors that played into that, but um, I see that more often than not. Low estrogen is not really a problem today. If anything, there's a lot of estrogen stuck in our tissues. So all that to say, those three things play a role in our dairy intolerance. Um, So there is a safe way to go about reintroducing it. Like I said, I usually like to keep Parmigiano, Reggiano, like a raw hard cheese on the rind sprinkle it on eggs. And I find that to be like fairly low in lactose, easy to digest. It's just a little bit enough Mm -hmm. for the body to still continuously produce that lactase enzyme. Um, and then moving into like the milkier cheeses, like mascarpone, um, ricotta. And then once you've done like a tablespoon of each for like a few weeks, um, then, and that's per day. And then we can increase that dose. And then maybe we can tolerate some raw A2 organic milk, um, pasture-raised milk um, later on down the road and like increase that slowly, start off with a tablespoon and really just monitor um, temperatures and pulses and our symptoms and let that be our guide. but I find by doing it slowly, you're able to reintroduce. And then quality is important, making sure that the milk that we're consuming is not fortified with vitamin D, um, making sure the source is quality as well. Um, 
right? all those things definitely like play a role into our breaking down of milk. Yeah. So yeah, quality is super important. And then quantity just increasing it slowly. That makes sense. Yeah, because I actually, you know, I don't have a bad reaction really to dairy when I eat those like tiny bites here and there, even though it's been so long. And 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 like I'm, they're really here and there. They're not like weekly or monthly even. So it's so it's is surprising, and it definitely probably like I'm probably just like okay, I probably would be fine, but I'm not gonna just get back into it full throttle. Um, but going you know back to the inflammation um, comment you made about like your gut health specifically, I think people aren't maybe aware of all the signs of inflammation that their body can be telling them I'm inflamed. Maybe there's those obvious ones like acne is obviously a clear sign of inflammation, right? Um, but maybe, and I think this is right, but like dandruff can be a sign of inflammation. There's so many, and like obviously eczema, psoriasis, like there's so many other skin concerns and things that can outwardly tell you, but then also internally how you're feeling. So what are maybe some other lesser known signs of inflammation um, that people might not be thinking like this could be maybe a legitimate enough reason to go see someone like yourself? Anxiety. Okay. Anything like mental health related. Um, I actually had someone reach out to me about OCD yesterday. If that developed over time and you're not leading a lifestyle that is supportive to your metabolic health. And all of a sudden you develop something like OCD inflammation. Now there is a marker on a stool test that I run with my clients called a GI map and it's your calprotectin. And I will see this elevated in someone who is like experiencing a lot of digestive issues, like ulcerative colitis, um, Crohn's, um, IBS, you know, obviously those digestive health issues, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so skin, digestion, mood, energy levels, um, brain fog, fatigue, headaches, migraines. And I guess what? Like a lot of these things can actually come back to your thyroid health too. Like, um, that's so interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, acne, uh, I mean, anxiety and OCD. I mean, <laughs> I would have never <laughs> considered those in the inflammation group. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, anything that, so oxygen um, and iron, they they counteract each other. When they mix, that creates a rust in our bodies and that reacts with um, something called reactive oxygen species, therefore mm-hmm. creating stage two, which is inflammation and stage, I'm sorry, no, stage two, which is oxidative stress and stage three is inflammation. Um, pretty much any disease or symptom that you are experiencing has taken time to develop and we can consider that inflammation. If it's new to you, I would be like, okay, there's inflammation going on somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. but when we view our health issues as a metabolic dysfunction and know that and understand that these, um, metabolic functions can be corrected, um, it takes away the, the stress of the medical condition, medical disease. I work, um, I'm, I'm a root cause protocol consultant in training and uh, my instructor, Morley Robbins, I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with him, but he created the root cause protocol. And I love what he says that there is no medical disease, only medical dysfunction or metabolic dysfunction. Um, 
And I, I think that's so true. I'm just like, when we take a step back and stop chasing symptoms and start creating health, um, we have hope. Yeah. And that's what I feel like so many people who probably come to you need is hope that this isn't like a life sentence, you know, and that I'm sure a lot of it can come with guilt. Like maybe they felt like they should have known better or the things that they were doing are, are what's causing these issues. So it's working through all of that. But yeah, having the hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I mean, that could that I, that alone will just help them all stay committed too to like getting to that result. So, um, yeah, I love that. When you've been, you've mentioned it a few times, the different labs that you do, like the hair and a blood sample, a stool sample. I'm hearing a lot more, as I said at the beginning, like I've been listening to more functional medicine practitioners on different podcasts and, and such. And so the lab thing is just like, a mystery to me. Like, do you go to a place called the lab? Like, wh- how does it literally work? <laughs> what are the different common labs that you might get? You know, it just reminds me when you see like on medical TV shows, like I want a this and a this and a this. And it's like, do they go somewhere to get this? Or are you just like pressing a button and these labs print out? Like, how does it work? <laughs> I know that sounds like so just beginner. Like I have no idea just how any of that works. Well, I think it's a fascinating tool, um, which is why I went to school for it. Because Mm. when I went to the NTA, I learned a lot about nutrition and blood sugar balance and minerals. And I was like blown away by how much I thought I knew and was, um, yeah, taken back by how much I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I thought the NTA was a great foundation, but I knew I wanted lab testing in my practice um, because I think it is helpful. Now, I think I have acquired, you know, since getting that certification, I was like, you know, we got to run labs, we got to run labs. But now I'm like, you know, there are a couple like the hair tissue mineral analysis that I explained that is really helpful. I like to do this with my private client. Um, but I, you know, they're really expensive. And I think people are leaning into these because they want confirmation. They want receipts. They want validation of what's going on exactly in their bodies, why they feel a certain way, which I can completely understand. Mm-hmm. But it really comes back down to the foundations. Like I mentioned before, it all boils back down to stress. How do we manage stress? We got to make sure we're eating enough. We got to make sure that our meals are balanced and supporting blood sugar balance. We got to make sure that we're focusing on, you know, uh, foods that are going to create optimal health and not create inflammation. Um, And then we got to work on the emotional side of things, mental health side of things. Um, But when we refer to the lab, there are a couple of different like um, tests. So the GI map is a stool test, a really in-depth, comprehensive DNA-based stool test that I actually shipped my clients and they will complete the, the, the test at home, collecting their stool, and then all the shipping materials are included. So if they just send it out for pickup and same thing with another um, dried urine test for comprehensive hormones, which is a Dutch test, and that's a urine sample or, or a series of urine samples collected at home. So a lot of these are very accessible and easy to handle at home. Um, the hair tissue analysis is done at home. Like these are all sent off. I think the only thing that they can't do at home is going to a, um, 
like a, a lab, like lab core request um, that we have here on the East Coast. Um, and they, you know, we'll show them the order and then they will get the blood sent off. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that. But I think people like these tests because they're more comprehensive and in-depth than what you would get at your doctor's office. They're right. different lab ranges. They're getting different markers and capturing them. And they're just, yeah, they're more, they're more helpful. Yeah, I actually, I just remembered when I was on Accutane the second time, I was actually in Nicaragua with Jose studying abroad. Um, I did my semester abroad there so we could live together for that semester. And I went to a university there, but I was on Accutane. And, you know, when you're on Accutane, you need the monthly blood um, samples. So your doctor can ensure that, like, I think it's your liver. Like, they're just making sure that you're good, I guess. And so I did go to a place there and it was nice because it was actually so cheap and you could just walk in and say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And you could kind of just, it's really funny there. Everything is easier. I mean, you walk into pharmacies, you can get any medication without a prescription. Like it's totally different. Um, but anyway, so I have done that before. Um, I just remembered, but yeah, I can see how that can be really helpful for you to see all of that. And my friend recently did that. She did a metals, like a detox, a detox, because she's trying to get pregnant and she wanted to do that first. Um, and the urine sample that she did at the end of it to see where her levels were at, she had to do like 9am, 11am, 1pm, but it was all in one container. Is that what you're saying where you do multiple? It's like all together though. Yeah. Why, why do you want like those? Is it just... I guess different nutrient levels at different times of the day. Like how do you, cause it's all together at the end. So I, I guess I don't know which one she exactly ran. The one that I was referring to for hormones mm -hmm. um, rather than just a snapshot in time, like you would go to your doctor's office and they take your blood sample just once. And we don't even know if our doctors are collecting during the right time of the month because right. For the hormones, we want to capture um, days 19 through 21 during your luteal oh. phase, right after you ovulated, because that ensures, like, right after we ovulate, you're supposed to make progesterone. If there's not enough progesterone, you didn't ovulate. Um, so oh. that's why it's like it's important to go at a certain time of the month and then collecting like that evening and before bed and in the morning, as soon as you wake up and mid morning, um, that tells us how mainly not your sex hormones, but your steroid hormones, your stress hormones, like cortisol, how that's playing. Um, is that low in the morning, which totally was for me. I've already just been, I was like adrenal burnt out, like phase like three of stress. Um, I was just low cortisol in the morning. I had a small spike in the morning and then everything was just relatively low. So I was just like energy depleted, which is what I see with clients too. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. You're a slow metabolizer. You, um, have low stress hormones because you've already experienced like high stress hormones before with fasting, with high amounts of stress in your life. And, um, and then we can see that with sex hormones too. Everything's just running low and like progesterone is like our youth hormone. And this is what we need to get pregnant, um, sustain a healthy pregnancy too, um, at that and making sure it's in balance ratios with estrogen and, um, if we don't have that vitality hormone, we're just going to feel like crap. So, yeah. Yeah. so that's, 
so I I heard a fertility doctor recently speak about the likelihood of getting pregnant naturally. And what he said is, if I put two 20-year-olds in a room and they had sex every day that month, what would be the likelihood of the woman getting pregnant? And it was around 25%. Like, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like 25, 26%. I was like, floored. I, I was just like, I can't even believe it's that low. When, I mean, you know, granted, he's a fertility doctor. He has this really successful clinic. And he was like, our percents are like 77% likely. It's like, okay, I get it. But um, I did, you know, I do have people that are listening and friends and family who are, you know, I try to explain that to them. There's really only a certain period of time during the month that you can get pregnant. Um, it's not like you know, just any day and, and you might get pregnant. Like it really depends on when you ovulate. And if it's like right before you ovulate, you might still get pregnant. Maybe right after, like, it's like a very, it's like a window, but mm -hmm. you know, and I've, I've seen those ovulation sticks that you can pee on, see if you're ovulating, go for it. But I haven't ever, you know, learned about like, you know, taking this blood test right after you ovulate to make sure that you are in fact ovulating. So when it comes to fertility, you know, have you had clients come to you who have been trying for a while or are getting ready to try? And like, how can you support them through that process to, I guess, increase their chances of getting pregnant naturally? Yeah, I work with several women who are in their preconception phases. I think this is so important going back to like our first conversation on the episode, like how my mom's health was and mm -hmm. I mean, this is not to blame her by any means. I think her parents were doing the best that they could given the tools that they were given. <laughs> yeah. There was like no education. Like this is like all relatively new. Um, mm -hmm. It's not new, but <laughs> I just wish there was more of an emphasis on this, like growing up and like learning yeah. about our cycles, like in health class and things of that nature. But I think preconception is one of, I mean, if not the most important phase of the fertility journey, because this is your, your baby's imprint. And we want to make sure that you're in optimal health and takes two to tango. So mm -hmm. your husband or your partner can, um, join along with you. I think it should be like a year long, uh, preconception phase. And depending if that person came back from, um, from like a plant-based diet that can take two to three years to restore nutrients, making sure everything's in balance, making sure minerals in balance. So going back to the hair tissue mineral analysis that I explained, um, I like to run that with my ladies who are trying to conceive mm -hmm. and keeping track of that every three months and making sure that we're on the right track and things are improving. Um, that plays a huge role. And um, we, we do keep track of, you know, we use the fertility awareness method to make sure that they are aware first of all like a lot of the women I work with don't even understand that there are phases to the cycle um they're they think the period is the main event of our cycle but it's actually ovulation we're not ovulating we're not having a true bleed we're not having a true period um and then if they can from a birth control background you know that is going to take some time to replete as well. Um, if they have had a baby and they just had a baby and they're trying to conceive again, there needs to be time and space between, you know, two babies because um, it is really depleting and stressful, like I said earlier, to give birth and breastfeeding, um, repleting all those stores before it's time to have another baby. Um, 
so yes, I use the fertility awareness method. Um, I really like if someone's wanting to learn more, it's a really big book, but it's called taking charge of your fertility by Tony Wichler. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when it's heard of it, but um, really popular book and the fifth vital sign by doctor or not doctor, um, Lisa Hendrickson, Jack. And mm-hmm. That explains a lot about the fertility awareness method, but it's essentially essentially keeping track of three markers, your temperature, your cervical fluid, and your cervical position. I really just pay attention to temperature and cervical fluid um, with my clients, but I think, you know, when I'm ovulating, I can feel that my cervix is a little bit higher when I'm, like, as opposed to when I'm about to get my period, everything's hanging a little bit lower, um, which is what makes sense. I mean, when you're ovulating, you're supposed to be able to make sure the sperm is traveling where it needs to go and everything's mm-hmm. higher and easier and your cervical fluid is going to look totally different mm-hmm. you know, then, um, as opposed to maybe another phase of your cycle. So we have the menstrual phase and that's day one of your cycle. And I like to count day one as like when my client is getting a full bleed, not just spotting, not brown blood, but like a full bleed. And that can last anywhere from, or supposed to last anywhere from three to seven days And then we enter the follicular phase. And this is when estrogen starts to rise and then ovulation takes place. And, you know, as far as days go, it's going to vary for each woman. Everyone's cycle is so different. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we need to make sure that we are clearing that estrogen that had risen before ovulation. And this is where problems usually happen. If we're not doing that, Then the next phase of our cycle, the luteal phase, is when a lot of women experience painful periods, headaches, migraines, back pain, like PMS, is when the luteal phase takes place. Um, And then we're right back around to our period. So leading up to our period, that's when a lot of the estrogen-like symptoms um, come about and it's a clearance issue. It's a liver issue. It's a, it's a thyroid issue. And how do you clear it? Is it like through diet and exercise? Like I, you know, I've heard that like sweating is definitely, you want to be like sweating it out or, or, you know, obviously flushing it out. Like you said, your liver and your thyroid. So how, what's, how do you kind of, what are some tips for that? Well, um, when we are sweating excessively, we also have to remember that we're losing electrolytes and Mm -hmm. That can be incredibly hard on our adrenal glands because we're also losing salt. Our adrenal glands love salt. And if we're not repleting the electrolytes, like basically just minerals, electrolytes are just a fancy name that like Gatorade um, gave us, but (laughs) included in that category is sodium. So we're losing a lot of sodium by sweating a lot. So we just need to make sure we're repleting a lot. I'd say that's more the case for like um, excreting toxins. Um, I think sweating is important, but if someone is so incredibly depleted and brain fogged and fatigued, like I was once, I think, and I, I, I did sweat a lot, but I was just left. Like I just wasn't doing it correctly. I was even more depleted. Um, so that's something that someone has to be careful about, but, um, really supporting your liver is going to be key and clearing estrogen. Um, That's where 80% of your thyroid hormone conversion takes place from T4 to T3, active thyroid hormone from inactive thyroid hormone. And we do that by not doing like just a liver detox. Um, I think some herbs can be really helpful on top of what is foundational, which is eating enough glucose for our livers and making sure we're getting enough bioavailable animal protein because those 
nutrients that come from animal protein are what we need to support phase one, two, and three of liver detoxification, the amino acids, the vitamins, all those good things. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, then, you know, if we're doing those things, we can um, maybe add in some chlorophyll, add in some milk thistle or like liver supportive herbs, um, sing nettle tea, dandelion root tea. Um, I think that's helpful. Um, and that is how I would detox my liver, um, just to get things moving again. Um, and that's how I would clear estrogen. And of course, having a regular bowel movement daily, if you're not having that, your estrogen is recirculating and that's becoming even more toxic. So, that's good to know. Um, so yeah, I wanted to quickly, but I know I, we're kind of running out of time, but real quick on postpartum support, um, ways to, you know, I've heard, I've heard of the hair loss, obviously. I think a lot of women talk about that, but my mom really, her teeth were like impacted a lot after her pregnancies. Like now she has like multiple crowns or, um, just like her teeth were just in a terrible place after her pregnancies. Um, which I, I feel like maybe is a lesser known side effect of, of this hormone fluctuation that's so extreme. But I'm just wondering, you know, what other postpartum support can you offer? And is it before birth or can it only start really after birth in ways to help transition from pregnancy? So any teeth related issues, I think of calcification, meaning loss of calcium from the bones and teeth. Mm -hmm. into soft tissue, um, Mm -hmm. which is not what we want. We want calcium to remain in the bone and teeth. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a preconception thing. If we aren't doing those things before we have our baby, then it's going to be incredibly worse after we give birth because Mm -hmm. baby is taking a lot of those nutrients away. Um, So what I like to do with my clients who are losing calcium, and we see this on a hair tissue mineral analysis test, and I usually see this with women with a slower metabolism, their calcium is is being lost. Um, This is kind of what's happening to me right now too, actually. I've run my own hair tissue mineral analysis. It's very, very slightly elevated, meaning there's a small loss. Um, But what I've done to mitigate that is add in some vitamin K. Um, And there are different forms of vitamin K, but I really like the brand MitoLife. Um, they have MK1, MK4, and MK7. So it's really well-rounded. Um, and I like using that to keep calcium inside of the bones and teeth mm-hmm. so that things aren't becoming problematic. And um, what else is also in, um, well, vitamin K is also in dairy. So we have like calcium and vitamin K, fat soluble yeah. vitamin K and dairy. So supplementing with K, even though I, I all already eat like plenty of dairy, I'm doing it as kind of just like, okay, well, and this could have been like just from previous, the previous year where I wasn't necessarily doing that, but just making sure that I'm retaining all that calcium. So I think once someone is at an adequate level of dairy consumption and assimilating all the nutrients associated with it, um, then vitamin K supplementation can stop. It definitely doesn't have to be for everything. I don't think we have to be on supplements forever. Um, so you would know that by doing another hair tissue mineral analysis and making sure that things are working. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I ask a few questions to everyone that I interview on the podcast. First one is what mantra or words do you like to live by? Oh, man. Yeah, there are so <laughs> many things running through my mind right now. <laughs> I guess I can just, like, talk about like what I've been moving through lately um, yeah. or like within the past year. Um, everything is temporary. No That's matter right. how how good or how bad something, an event might be, um, learning to appreciate the good and remain present in that moment, but also not hold on too tightly and be upset when something goes a little bit sideways, because that too is temporary, that emotion. And coming from someone who would always zoom in on issues and create Mm -hmm. even more problems and more suffering and more pain. I just, um, yeah, that's something that I, I that was like the first thing that came to mind. So that's good. Yeah, no, that's a perfect <laughs> one. It's a good reminder for everyone too. Um, the second one is, you know, we all know it takes a village to raise kids, and whether or not you plan on having children, you might be an aunt or a caregiver to children. What do you most value in that community surrounding those kids in your life, whether now or in the future, um, that you know will just be beneficial for those children, but also more so for yourself as a support system. Mm, I definitely want to have kids. I want at least four kids. I I love kids. And that's one thing, Natalie, that I've always just um, aspired to be is just like a mom. Like I can't leave this earth without becoming a mom in some way, shape or form. And I have two dogs, so they've made me like a dog mom so far, but I do want two kids one day. And I think um, my mom and I talk about all the time. She's just like, I'm going to be right next door and like, I'm going to come over all the time and I will take care of them. Like anything you need, I got you. And my mom is like my best friend. And I know like we shouldn't say that because like crossing boundaries or whatever, but you know, she truly is like the best friend. (laughs) Um, And um, I think having different hands on deck and offering different things to children. And it's not just one person. I think having a community, like, I mean, I think that's how children are raised back in the, like way back in the day. Like it was a, a village, a community, like, and having so many different um, life lessons that are brought on to these children, it's going to make them really well-rounded and exposed to different experiencing experiences, different ways of living, um, different emotions and, just, just learning. So I think it exposes them to a lot and they, I don't, like I said, will become more well, well-rounded individuals, um, are being exposed to different personalities and yeah. So nice. I love that. Um, and then lastly, yeah. I mean, this kind of ties into that question, but what qualities do you most admire and you hope to instill in your future children? Oh man. Um, (laughs) These are really good questions. I love them. Um, I just want them to remember that no one is out to hurt them. I want them to remember that everyone is human and dealing with their own emotions to never any to never take anything personally as best as possible. Like as yeah, just trying to do that as best as possible. Um, never knowing what anyone else is going through and having compassion for humans, um, animals, for all living things, for having a deep appreciation of life and 
um, having just an awareness, a high level of awareness, and maybe not having that at first, but gaining that awareness around Mm -hmm. what's truly important in life. And that is remaining present, making memories um, with your loved ones. And gosh, I hope this whole like phone age, like just stops by then. I know. (laughs) You know, overuse of phone consumption and just social media. I hope they have like this deep appreciation for nature and truly living and not, not what's on your phone. Um, and, you know, just having a balance with that too, like not being too far away from, you know, society, but also knowing when, um, when to step away. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Yeah. Finding that balance. I actually, just released a podcast today with this child's uh, development therapist and she um we talked about technology and like how to navigate that with kids because it's just really hard um thank you so much Kiara this was a great conversation um I'd love for you to share where people can find you maybe like share a little bit about your podcast and about the nourish method so people know kind of all the different great ways they can connect with you Natalie, thank you so much. This was like so much fun and I feel like we can talk forever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, um, I, you can catch me over on IG, Instagram. Um, I'm sure you'll link my handle there. That's where I spend most of my time. I do have a private Facebook community as well that ladies can join where I go live every single Friday and answer a lot of questions that they have. I also do monthly Q and A's on Instagram. Um, I do have a podcast called the human experience podcast and chat about a whole wide range of things, but yeah, I've been leaning a lot more towards like moms, mothering and parenting and just having children and stuff. It is a huge, um, passion of mine. And where else can you find me? I do have my online course, the nourished method, and this is where women can begin setting the foundations to restore their metabolisms and terminate those digestive issues and balance their hormones. And, um, you know, having those foundations established really helps someone like that's where to get started. And Mm -hmm. if someone needs more one-on-one support, then I'm also there if they want to, um, schedule more one-on-one time together. Um, but yeah, I, that's, that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much again, Kiara. It was so wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much, Natalie. It was an honor. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Not A Mommy Up podcast. Find Kiara's social media links and information on her course in the podcast notes. And please don't forget to make my birthday wish come true. And please leave that review and share this podcast with a friend. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a beautiful day.